There's nothing worse than reading a book and thinking, I have got no idea what this is trying to tell me, or I've got no idea how I'm supposed to like take any of the concepts on board or the messaging on board. So it's got to be that relatability for me, definitely. If you get one thing from a book that stays with you and makes you think differently or creates a positive ripple effect, just one thing, that's all I'd be looking for from anything I read is if it's one thing that has an impact, then I'm happy as Larry. Where's your focus? Where's your priority? Where's your energy? And what was mine? Go out there and take massive amounts of action. Look after yourself on the way. Yeah. Structure and process your business. Who wants to be an entrepreneur? This isn't a quiz show. This is reality. A real-life discovery of what it really takes to be an entrepreneur. Welcome to a new season of podcast episodes of personal and business coaching topics and techniques around the three pillars of HEW, health, excellence, and wealth. HEW is introducing guests to the Who Wants to Be an Entrepreneur show based on their own personal experiences, a full real-life account of trials and tribulations of what it takes. Hello and welcome to another edition of the HEW podcast. Uh, I'm here today with Helen Williams. Good morning, Helen. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. So today we are going to be having one of our chats and it's been great to get feedback on the first uh, Jill episode that we did uh, and it's just been lovely to have people's uh, positive comments and also things that they want to hear more of uh, from us. So we're going to dive straight in. We are going to be talking today about a subject that I honestly could talk about for hours on end but uh, we promise we will keep it to a reasonable limit uh, which is all about the books that we have read over the last maybe 5, 10, 15 years that have had a really big impact on us personally, in our business life, in our personal life, and beyond. So, Helen, I am, like I say, a bit bit of a book nerd. Um, (laughs) We're going to go through all of our history on, you know, what we've been like, what kind of things we've read, getting into it. But if I start off with asking you, if someone says to you, you know, what makes a book a great book, what does it mean for you? Uh, Good question. Just before I get into that, I just want to just say, and I'm sure all the listeners will um, agree with me on this, is now we've got you on a roll on this podcasting, Lauren, and, you know, you've been a great addition to it. And it's great then that, you know, you're embracing it, you're enjoying it, and you're just kind of taking it all in your stride. So well done, you. And thanks to all of the listeners for all of the amazing support as well. Um, What makes a good book for me? Um, Something that resonates something that relates something that you can actually then um talk about and apply to you personally there's nothing worse than reading a book and thinking i have got no idea what this is trying to tell me or i've got no idea how i'm supposed to like take any of the concepts on board or the messaging on board so it's got to be that relatability for me definitely uh for me i think uh, it's a book that for me when I think that's a really good book it's when it, it when it makes you think obviously but also when it changes your mind on something mm-hmm. when it alters the way that you've thought about um, you know a concept or an idea or a belief or anything like that um, that's one thing the other sign for me of a good book is one that when I give them away um, it's been really funny trying to put my list together for this podcast because I had to actually text a few people and go have you got my copy of this have you got my copy of that but I'm um 
when I read a book that really lands with me and that really makes an impact, uh, I'm always the one who's like giving it to someone who I know I'm like, I thought of you when I was reading this or ordering multiple copies on Amazon, uh, which is quite funny that it's a family trait. Um, me and my dad are often reading books at the same time or he'll read one and then Amazon it to me and vice versa. Um, and I suppose the other thing for me uh, that makes a good book is, is, is when your mind's wandering and you can hear the author or you can hear the story back in your mind um, just out of nowhere. That, that was one for me when I got that really made an impact and that really sat with me for a while. And with you on the recommendations, though, and, you know, swapping the books around and what have you, what I have noticed, though, through my own um, sort of behaviours with books is because I've uh, moved around so much over the last, what, 10 years, um, I'm buying less books now. We yeah. made a conscious decision not to bring any more hard, like, hard copies of books into the house because we're constantly just having to like change them around. So our behaviours have changed more onto, um, onto online audible uh, usage now. But I do love getting a book and actually reading a book. So when you said about this same um, episode, I thoroughly loved getting the book in my palm and going through the pages and marking bits off. And I think that as well, it shows the power of how it resonates and relates with you. Yeah, totally. All right, so that's a good way to uh, go through to it. So your reading background or your, hesitate to use the word that I hate, the journey, um, have you always been a reader? Have you always read stuff that's, like, do you read any fiction, non-fiction? What kind of, what's your reading background? Um, I've always been a reader, if I'm honest. Um, I- I'll just I'll just give you this little bit of uh, insight to me as a child. Um, when my mum used to pick me up from nursery uh, to pick my brother up from the what was it, infant school, I loved reading that much that I used to go into sit on their carpet for their story time. When you know when the parents are outside, but they let me in to go into the uh, onto the carpet. And the more I went, and the more I got into it, and the more I integrated with the older kids, the teacher used to get me up reading as well to the rest of the kids. Bear in mind, they were like two and a half, three years older than me, but she used to get me reading to the rest of the class at story time at the end of the school day. Um, you were always ready to be on stage, Helen. You were always ready to be on stage. I've never quite made it further than the carpet. <laughs> And what about as um, like a teenager, maybe into your early 20s when you started out in your career, you know, you spoke really openly about how when you were in a corporate role and you got so stuck and your mind was foggy, like what? how did that transpire with the books you were reading? Yeah, as it, going back to even being a kid and stuff, I were always intrigued by different things. Um, one of the books that stands out from childhood for me was The Diary of Anne Frank. Um, a bit random for a for a child's uh, childhood um, read, but I love it, and it, you know that just gives so much kind of powerful learning and perspective to life. It's something very very apparent and, and apt for today as well. I think, yeah, in in terms of you know what what put things into what puts things into perspective. Um, going into kind of teenage years, probably just like trashy stuff. There's a lot more magazine culture, I think, out then at that time. But if I remember in terms of my habits and my behaviours. And then I remember in work in London, I used to get um, on the tube or the bus. Yes, you do that kind of thing and get buses in London. Um, it's not a northern thing, but we do. you do it in London. I used to read the whole time to pass on that journey. Um, mm. And that would be, I remember one of my first books there was a business startup book. 
And I was already planning at that time my way out (laughs) and putting ideas together in terms of what I can do to make things work and going through this business startup book. And it was like reading a business studies book back from doing my A-levels, but it's needed. And if you have that capacity where you believe in something or you're interested in something, you want more information on it. So that's where we always source from from books and reading, I think, is that. Um, so, yeah. That it, so you've always been into your books? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you have as a family thing as well. Yeah, no, we were always readers. Um, and it's it's lovely when I look back now and how I see it replicated. You know, I'm, I'm dead lucky I've got four nephews and a niece. Um, and it's really interesting. You know, when people say, I don't have kids, but when people say you learn so much from children, watching the way they develop. And my sister's a teacher and she was telling me the actual um, sort of theory behind it. When you look at the way a child can turn a page and follow the lines and what it does in terms of their vocabulary. And you can really tell with kids if they're read to at home or if they're used to working with books when they get to like nursery school or infant school and um, because it really changes their vocabulary and it really you know makes their brain tick on we always had books as kids um as because I'm the youngest in the house as well you know there was like a I was probably similar to what you mentioned with your brother I was exposed to books that were probably more advanced for my age than I would have been because I was the, the youngest child they were in the house. Um, my mum and dad were always ones for, you know, Christmas and birthdays, everything included a book. My One of my earliest memories, actually, is my dad was in a book club. Remember um, when people used to have these book clubs that came to offices and they had like a big box of books and then you'd buy a book a month or something like that. I remember my dad being in one of them at his office um, and Aesop's Fables and really being able to, the power of a short story and always having that habit in every evening, reading a little story before we went to sleep. As a teenager, um, I actually didn't read much nonfiction as a teenager. It was, I've actually read very little fiction, um, a little bit maybe in my early 20s, like holiday reads. But to be honest, it's, I really have always loved autobiographies. I've loved the story of people. Um, and there has been the odd nonfiction book, you know, where the characters are really well described and really strong. But to be honest, in the last 10 years, very little non-fiction. Um, in my early career, I definitely didn't read as much as I wanted to. And a lot of that was down to that old excuse of I don't have time or being overwhelmed by where to start and what to do. But over the last six or seven years, I've, you know, my reading has really ramped back up again. And I'm laughing with you saying about the amount of books in your house. Uh, when we moved into this house two years ago, I remember Chris saying to me, you know, where do you want to put the books? And I'm like, well, there'll need to be a few in every room, you know, just to space it out. So I love a hard copy book, but did get into audio just three or four years ago. And maybe even less, maybe two and a half, three years ago, got into audio books, which has definitely decreased uh, the amount of hard copies knocking about the house. So, yeah, yeah, always been a reader, but had definitely had peaks and troughs when it's worked more in my favor and been more enjoyable rather than, you know, when I think I, I think. The studying time, you know, between maybe 14 and 18, you know, when you're really in that study mode for GCSEs and A-levels or entry into your degree, I didn't read as much for pleasure then. And I think that's when I got out of the habit of just reading to complete an assignment or to pass an exam. To be honest, that had a bit of a detrimental effect on me reading. And it took me a couple of years to recover and get back into just reading for the love of reading. I do think it's a I do think it's a key part of particularly business owners and entrepreneurs' lives though. Yeah. Um, all of the all of the individuals who I have interviewed for the podcast and what it takes so far 
have mentioned, all the guests have mentioned a book or something that they have taken from their own learning from a book. 100%. I don't think you can meet many people who are growth mindset or growth orientated and they're, you know, they are looking for new ideas or solutions and they're looking to build something. And that isn't just a business. You know, there's lots of people who are listening who um, are not self-employed, but they're looking to develop themselves or they're looking to develop relationships or their family or what you know whatever it may be I don't think people need to put themselves in that pigeonhole of if I'm not an entrepreneur if I'm not a business owner then it's not for me it's again if you think back to a child how it makes their imagination grow and how it sparks more thought and you know just how it keeps all the all the wheels and all the cogs turning I think it's um it's one that we should encourage more can I just say on that point though for the business owners the entrepreneurs there is a fine line, and you know that's one of my uh, famous sayings, the fine line theory, um, of not reading or not taking reading as a form of procrastination. 100%. Yeah. There are so many people that will then say, I need to learn, I need to read. But they're doing that to take them off the course of the actual Actually doing. Yeah, I heard you describe it once as um, shelf esteem versus self-esteem. And I thought that was a cracker because I was like, yeah, you're dead right. Like I had, uh, so relevant to share at this point, because I listen to a lot in audio and I'm in the car quite a bit or or was previous to obviously lockdown, um, I listen to a couple of hours, you know, big chunks a week when I'm driving. So I set myself a goal this year to complete 50 books over the year um, and that's more so that I get into a, a habit and a rhythm of I wanted to be daily reading whether that be a mix of you know actual books or audio but it was one of my friends said to me she was like do you not think that you're going to get too much information or you're not think you know you're not it's not going to go in and I was like you know it's a really good point but the way I look at it is I can either be listening to mainstream radio and I can be listening to the news bulletin or I could be you know listening to nothing which, you know, there is times when I just drive and I'm with my own thoughts or I'm just, you know, sitting and being still. I said, or I can fill my mind with stuff that, you know, might spark some ideas. But I agree there's a fine line between just being someone who's got tons of theory, but absolutely no application. And they're not actually taking the lessons and, and going with them. They're just, this is a lesson, but I'm not doing anything with it. Yeah. Okay, so tips for people who are listening to this and who might be stuck, they're not in a in the habit of reading or taking in any audio information. What tips would you give to somebody if you want to kickstart your reading bug again and get going? Um, little and often, I would say do something that's between 10, like 10 and 20 pages per day or something that's, that's just short, snappy. But my top tip would be, one, don't feel pressured into doing it. Keep it keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't try to cram too much in, because you can be you can be either on the plane of um, reading as a form of procrastination, or you're on the other like side of the coin of that to be um, cramming far too much in, and you're almost paralysing yourself through far too much information over like what you've just said about people questioning you on how much you're actually putting into your brain. So it's kind of like just take it in small bite-sized chunks. And I think you've got I think you've got to go scale up from the level that you're at. If I was 
a non-reader and I said, try and read 50 books this year, I'd be like, oh, my dear God, would you stop? Like, that's far too much. Yeah. But I probably read 30, 40 books last year. So for me to set, you know, an incremental increase, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense for me. But if I said that to most people, they'd be like, oh, my God, not a chance. And I would be, I would be, uh, make it relevant to what your interests are or where you are in life or business as well. Go on people's recommendations, like what we've just said, what makes a good book. Go off somebody else's recommendation um, and get started. Like, don't overcomplicate it. Well, you've just, you've said exactly um, very similar ones to me, actually. For me, it's 10 pages a day or 15 minutes of audio a day. And if you set in a time to do it um, with any habit, it's, it's getting it into that, um, that role of making sure that it fits your lifestyle genuinely. You know, if you're someone who wakes up and you're not wide awake first thing and you need, you know, 30, 40 minutes or an hour or two before you get to that place where you want to interact with other humans or, you know, your, your cognitive functions, you know, ready to go. Don't try and read at that time. I think people's commutes, again, I know we're not commuting anywhere at this point in time, but, you know, I've had it before, like you, Helen, when you're on trains or, um, you know, in airports, in different places, and you see people just, you know, head down looking at phones, you could you could fit in then 10, 15 pages of a book on, on that commute or on that travel time when you're, you know, spending it reading maybe, you know, a news headline or social media feeds. That is 10, 15 minutes a day that you could have. Um, recommendations was another one uh, for me because I think recommendations then lead to more recommendations. Um, and I said this when we chatted about podcasts a couple of weeks ago is – Make sure you ask people for recommendations who you have other similar things interesting you. Um, there's some of my friends and, you know, business contacts who, you know, again, I really admire them, but our interests are so different or our value systems or, you know, where our brain naturally heads to is so different that the book that they picked up and the book that I picked up would be so different. I'd be asking the, I'd be asking the right question to the wrong person. So, yeah, go with recommendations of people that you've got things in sync with. Okay, three for me that were different was move your phone away. So when you're reading a book, it's very hard to stay focused on it if you've got your phone turned up looking at you. And if you're someone who has notifications on and there's, you know, there's light flashing out of it or the, you know, the screen is grabbing your attention, it's very difficult to concentrate on the book. So move your phone away if you're finding you get distracted when you're reading. Um, final tips for me would be, don't overwhelm yourself trying to get loads of solutions from each book. Um, get one thing. If you get one thing from a book that stays with you and that, again, makes you think differently or creates a positive ripple effect, just one thing. Like, don't overcomplicate it at all. That's that's all I'd be looking for from anything I read is if, it, if it's one thing that has an impact, then I'm happy as Larry. Yeah. Um, and the last tip from me would be if you, if you are a note taker, I'm a note taker. And I do it when I'm reading a book and I'm highlighting and I'm penciling and all that stuff. When I'm listening to audio, I'm usually driving, walking or running. So obviously I don't take notes when I'm doing any audio. And this was something that used to put me off because I'm like, I can't listen to that when I'm doing this because I need to be able to take a note or I need to be able to write that down. And I tell this to anyone who's trying to get into audio, you have to let go of that. Just completely let go of trying to make a note of everything and live and die by those notes Again, just take it in, let your subconscious hear it, let it be something that's in your ears. And if it's going to stick with you, it's going to stick with you and go back. Like, again, with audio, you can do um, 
a note take, you can save that point in a book and go back to it later on and, you know, re-listen to that 30 seconds of that minute and write it down then. But putting off reading at all or listening to books at all because you have to take a thousand notes is a really pants excuse. So don't die by your notes. I was just going to say that, yeah. There, there has to become a limit yeah. for note-taking. It's the same as, you know, when you're in well, you're on webinars or you're in meetings or uh, you're in an event. It's like, how much are you t- taking on notes that you're probably going to not, not read much of them when you take them away to actually being present in the moment to then you, to consume what's actually coming into your ears at that time? So, yeah, definitely. Good points there. You can tell. Uh, you can tell that you've got given that some uh, some good thought there, Lauren. Thank you. No worries, Helen. All right, let's crack into the first book. Right, what have you got on your list? In no particular order. No um, particular order. No, no particular order of um, sort of genres or meanings or anything like that. Um, but what we have done between us is select five books each, haven't we? Uh, so the first one for me is. The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. Have you read it? I've not. I've heard so much great stuff from Grant Cardone. I've consumed some of his stuff on YouTube, but uh-huh. I've not read any of his books. Okay. I've not read the book. This is an audible. And it's worth pointing out at this point why I take so much from that, from it being an audible. Because Grant Cardone is a, is a, is a character in himself is American for those of the, the those of you that aren't familiar with him. So there's definitely from our fellow American friends, there's no holds barred in terms of pushing forward, uh, striving for success, uh, talking about money and achievements, and, and 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 pushing on and the grind and the hustle and all of that. They don't hold back. They're unashamed to say it, and they do it, and are very proud of it as they're doing it. I then take all of that passion and energy from him as a motivating factor in this book the principle in itself is basically um reiterating that you've always got more to give you've always got more potential and your success is your responsibility okay so when you think that you've done enough you haven't you can go again 10 times more so that's the principle basically over the 10x rule of you've got 10 times more in your tank to give. So never kind of rest on your laurels that you've done enough. There's always more to give. Um, so just on that one, Helen, you said there he's, a, you know, he's an American um, author and speaker. Do you find the difference when you're listening to um, audio between who's narrating it? Like are the American audios that you choose are they quite like hard hitting are they quite juicy like woo, motivation or is there a mix there's a mix and it depends because some are narrated by other people some are narrated by the actual author um and this particular one excuse me grant grant narrates his own so it's his own theory it's his own vision it's his own practicalities how he conducts his life as well and his business and how he kind of gets all of the family involved. It's a shared goal. It's a shared vision. And everything that they do is born from and is created with every single day in the momentum of the 10X theory. So it, it just gives it that extra edge for me of the meaning behind it because it's it's his, he owns it, and he's actually then narrating it himself. 
And I love it when the authors narrate it themselves. I find that the most, yeah, the most impactful. Because, yeah, and I love being able to, like one of my things with books is when you're reading, if you've read the author before and you're reading another book of theirs, is when you can hear their tone within everything they say and you kind of feel like you get to know them a little bit and you know you know their viewpoint or you know their reaction on things so yeah I love it when audiobooks are narrated by the author I think it really adds the extra bit what I um what I will say on this one is it's it is all about pushing it's about never giving in it is very very much aligned with um the relentless attitude value of HEW, of the fact that there's always a solution, there's always a way, there's always more to give, there's always more to be, there's always more to strive for. However, I do want to point out that I do have my personal caveats and our own business caveats within that, that it's not a, it's not a kind of relentless push that you become destructive to yourself. But yeah. this this is, for me, I love it every time I read it because it gives you that massive kick up the backside. Okay, You know what I was thinking as you were saying there, Helen, is it's great when, you, I love it when I listen to books like that, is because sometimes when you're really pushing for something or grinding away at a task or, you know, you know what I mean, just grinding away at life, sometimes you can feel like just getting into a slump or, you know, we all have those days where we just want to put the duvet back over our head. When you listen to an author like that and someone who's really succeeded at a high level, but also faced a decent amount of challenge and shite in his life, that he, you get tons of energy from it because you're like, you know what, it's not just me. Yes, feel a bit sorry for yourself for a split second or for a day or for however long you need, but then dust yourself down, crack on, get back up and go with it again. So, yeah, I love a book like that because that, it, it, it makes you feel supported and like you've got a tribe of other like-minded individuals who've done it bigger, better, and who you're chasing their tail. So, it, for me, like honestly, for me, the motivating factor is it's not a, it's not a um, high five. Let's you know, woo woo, or you know, yeah. all, all kind of get excited about doing something. It is a repeated stark reality of that you've just been slapped around the face, dunked in ice cold water, slapped around the face some more to then go, wake the fuck up and get doing more. And that's what I take from it every time. And I'm like, yes, come on. You know, I'm listening to you talk about it. I grab it. You've You've really, really got to listen to it. And, you know, it just, it brings home and, and, and drums home on the fact of, your success, your levels of achievement is all down to your responsibility. You know, you've got no right to moan if you're not where you are because you're probably not where you are because you're not giving it enough or you're coming up, you, your excuses are beating you more than your 10x attitude. So, yeah, definitely, definitely one to recommend and one that I do go back to quite often, even if it's just for a, a half an hour boost or anything. It's just, yeah. Good. Sounds good. Okay, first one for me is an actual book which I haven't given away. Um, it's called The Distraction Trap, um, How to Focus in a Digital World, and the author is Francis Booth. So with this one, I had to pick it because I remember specifically where I was and where I read it, and I was really at a turning point. Um, if anyone's listened back to my first couple of podcasts when I talk about making changes two and a half, three years ago, um, I was on a trip to Bali, 
uh, with Chris and it was a brilliant trip. It was actually when the volcano was erupting in Bali. We got delayed there for an extra few days. Worst places to be delayed, not going to lie. Um, but I had, at the time I was working in um, a digital startup uh, within the organization. So I was doing a lot of reading at that point around the digital world and understanding uh, different methodologies, different concepts and, you know, really how to kind of dunk myself into that space. And one of the things when you're building apps or building software or building a website, same with social media, you know, when if people are looking to post their content out, what you're looking for is people's attention. And what you're looking for is the longer you can keep someone's attention, the you increase the law of averages, you increase your chances of them buying from you, of them interacting with you. So I was looking at it from that side, which is when we're building this piece of software or this app, how do I keep someone's attention in there? What I also realized when I started working in digital is it, it was actually the start of my love-hate relationship with technology, with the phone, with social media. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about this so regularly, Helen, is that I love my phone. I love social media. I am someone who interacts daily with friends, family, business, etc. However, what I realized when I was dunked into this space is how distracting and how disruptive technology is on purpose. Everything is built to keep our attention in there longer because the longer they have our focus, the longer they have our attention, the more we're going to buy. And one of the biggest assets now for any company, whether it be, you know, again, looking to to increase their sales or looking, if you're looking to hire someone or looking to recruit a great team of people, for me, in my opinion, one of the biggest assets that I would be looking for is someone who can focus and someone who can really give their attention to a task and take it from start all the way through to completion in a focused manner, in a focused time frame, on the objective and on the outcome, not just there spending time kind of moving about, moving the pieces around, but actually getting nowhere. So this book is all about how to focus in a digital world. Um, the things that kind of really stood out to me um, is focus is the number one currency. Um, understanding what your distractions are and what takes your attention away. Understanding your emotional state, understanding your, um, even your physical state. Like for example, does anyone notice that their screen time goes up later on in the day? because your attention span has been used up usually earlier on in the day. Um, or maybe it'd be that you have, you know, you've eaten, you've been sat down for six, eight hours. So it gets you to really recognize your emotional state, your physical state, um, you know, again, your mental capacity of what distracts you and when. And for me, it was a really interesting one because technology is something now that surrounds us and at the moment while the world is you know taking a breath and having some quiet time it's an absolute savior it's a savior for our business for many businesses for keeping family and friends connected so I know I can sometimes come across like you know throw your phone in the bin and let's all go back to Nokia <laughs> you know 2002 but what I am really conscious of and this was the first book in this genre that I read was that your focus and your attention is up for grabs every minute of every day. And what you know, what you were saying there about Grant Cardone in terms of own your own shit, take responsibility. You know, for me, I am really conscious of the fact that when I'm procrastinating and I could, you know, I could laminate my own certificates and give myself many medals in that area, lots in life. But what I've recognized is I'm doing that 
I'm procrastinating on a task, on my phone, on research, you know, again, dressing that up as I'm researching. You're just not doing anything. Stop researching and get some shit done, Lauren, is the digital distraction is often the first thing that pulls me away from the task. And then before I know it, I'm like 20 steps far away from where I want to be. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. It's the equivalent of, you know, when you walk into a room in your house and you're like, I have no idea what I came into this room for. Opening up your phone, before you know it, you've read your WhatsApps, you've read your Facebook notifications, your Instagram, your email. What you actually went in there for was to put something in your diary or to respond to, you know, uh, an email or something. But you've ended up at five other places and now you can't remember what you came into the room for. So this book for me, if you if you want to start exploring, it's not about not using your phone or technology. It's not about not running your business through your phone, but it's about understanding where your distractions are in relation to your media and your technology use, and then being able to set boundaries and put things in place. So I've read a couple in this, I don't know if genre is even the right word. It's, you know, in this conversation all about how to break up with your phone the distraction trap if you are someone who wants to really monitor your productivity and keep in control I think that's the one big thing actually that's probably the best way to describe it you want to be in control of your technology and your focus and your intention your intentions for the day and for the week and for life not them being control of you so distraction trap Frances Booth she's a cracker I definitely need to read that one for sure um I've not, I've not come across that one. I, 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 I think for me, this was in an airport buy. Because I, I, at the time, I travelled a lot with business. Yeah. Um, a lot of my hard copy books were, uh, yeah, they were airport WH. Oh, oh, was it just a spontaneous buy, Lauren, when you went into WH Smith for some chewing gum or something and you ended up with three more things in your basket because of that, that nicely thought out strategic sales positioning? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And it's funny, never do it when you when you're reading a book, whether it be I mean, like that one's a perfect, uh, perfect example where you're like, Oh, I have so fallen for that. They have so gotten with that. And you're like sat there like guilty as hell. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> All right, what's next on your list? Um, next on my list is one that I actually recommended to you. Um Ah, I love it too. This is this is a very very uh, special book for me. Is the monk who sold his Ferrari by Robin Sharma? I love this, and I have this again is audible, um, and I find this immensely relaxing and almost meditative, um, just because of the nature of it. Um, it's very much a wake up call but of the opposite kind to the 10x rule. Yeah. Um, so it's so I, simple. What I love about this book is that it's not convoluted. It's so calming and so simple, but such a punch. Um, yeah, that's what I mean. It, it is the wake-up call of you have to stand back, slow down. Again, it's very apt for this time, isn't it, of what is important to you. And ultimately, that is your happiness, your health, your well-being, your emotional intuition, your purpose. And it just gives all of that perspective on life and what we are actually doing here. So yeah, it speaks to me uh, from a values perspective. It's obviously, it's a fable, um, but it's deeply ingrained uh, within the values of, of 
the health and the excellence sections of, of HEW. So just do a bit of a recap, Helen, on what the story is, if anyone's not familiar with that title at all. It's about the, the journey and the transformation from uh, being uh, an uh, ultimately successful individual in business. I'm not going to give all the story away because I'm not going to give kind of the concept away, but being ultimately successful and pushing for more and basically being a slave to your work until that becomes detrimental to yourself and to your own health mm-hmm. and well-being. Then going on a transforma- uh, transformational journey um, in terms of finding yourself, the inner focus, um, enlightenment, spirituality, and all of that going out to India um, and into the temples and learning about the great philosophy of life, basically, and then bringing that back in to then influence others in that same way. Okay, I'm not going to say any more because it, it's it's it, no spoilers. Yeah, it'll spoil it. But it is basically all about uh, body, mind, and soul synchronization. Yeah, and it's so in line with HEW. I mean, like you recommended that um, book to me, and I probably had it on my Audible wish list for maybe a couple of months, um, and then I put it on in December, yeah. uh, which is before we started working together. <clears throat> within the brand but at that time I was I was just transitioning out of my role with the organization that I'd been with for so many years and even though it was all really really well done and in the spirit of everyone was happy you know I was moving on to my next adventure and the company you know was brilliant and supportive I felt like a sense of you know such a big change and I listened to that audiobook and I was like it also coincided with a death we had in the family in December, which was very sudden and unexpected. And I remember listening to that. So if anyone's going through some big change, and like you say, at the moment where we're all changing and adapting daily and weekly to the scenario that we have no control over, but if you have maybe lost someone as well, or you're, you know, you're just going through that turmoil inside, that book was superbly timed as a recommendation for me in December. Yeah. I mean, you know as well as anyone, I'm all for pushing forward. I'm all for wanting more and aspiring to be more, have more, do more. Um, but this is a this is a, a true reminder and realization of, of of life's true purpose and how we can how we can actually um, be richer than we actually even think that we are just by understanding yeah. the true like philosophy and and self-discoveries of our lives so yeah one definitely definitely for recommendation yeah brilliant we're gonna be saying this with every book and that one and that one yeah we could keep Um, going what's next for you okay the next one for me it's an audio book um life leverage by uh rob moore have you read any of rob moore stuff no right i'm just doing this for youtube um so this was one that I, I think this was probably one of the first two or three books that I listened to on audio. Um, and I love Rob Moore's attitude. I love his philosophy. Again, it reminds me of what you were saying when you were talking about Grant Cardone um, in that he's, you know, there's no bullshit about him. He is unapologetically ambitious, successful, drives you know, everything around him, himself, but has a fantastic business partner, has a great team around him. Um, He has a family, has a wife, you know, he employs his mom. And so I think when you 
for me personally, when I can identify with someone's value system and then what it is that they've done to achieve the success they have in their business, that mm. helps me connect. We were talking about this, Helen, the other day. I know it's unrelated, but we were saying when we're doing any online fitness classes at the moment, and I know you do a lot of yoga online, when you can connect with the person who's telling the story or who's leading you, then it's much easier to keep going all the way through. For me, this was Rob Moore was one of the first people on audio who I was like nodding along to everything he said. And I was like, I'm totally with you on that one. Um, The big takeaways from Life Leverage, I mean, the name gives it away a little bit, is how to leverage each situation and each opportunity that you're in to get the very most for it. Um, He, you know, he opened it with anyone who is extremely busy, anyone who is running a business, running um, a department, running a team of people, any entrepreneur is this book is for them. So I think everybody will be able to identify the fact that we all feel so busy usually that, you know, how do I fit everything in? What do I prioritize? What do I get done first? What do I say no to? That's what this book is all about. Um, One of the things that sticks out for me is he talks about time management um, being a myth. He's like, it's not about time management. It's about emotion management. Because when your emotions are all over the show, that's when your time goes to shit. So when you're very clear in what your emotions are and what you're clear in your priority is, then you manage your time accordingly. I know this is something I get frustrated with. Is it not in a, I don't have the patience or time for, but I do get frustrated with when people say, yeah, I really want to do that. But, you know, I don't have time. And I, I again, this Rob Moore book really stuck in my head. He's like, if it's a priority, you have time because you put it in your diary. You know, again, for me, um, I do this weekly with my training. Um, and funny enough, the first few weeks in lockdown, I stopped doing it and it really affected um, my training schedule. Is that usually on a Sunday, I plan out what sessions I'm doing at the gym. So I'm like, I know I'm here on a Monday, no, I'm here on a Wednesday, hit blah, blah, blah. So if it's a priority, it goes in the diary. And this is like such a simple message, but one that he hammers home a lot is, it's not about time management. It's about your emotion and it's about your commitment to that priority um, and then leveraging everything else around it. So, you know, example, he says he's someone who trains every single day. Again, I don't know many entrepreneurs who don't physically look after their body, mentally look after their mind, spiritually look after their, you know, their well-being and their nurture that side of their their inner self. But he's like, when I'm at the gym, he's like, I have an audio booking so I can train at the same time as listening to a book or listening to a podcast. You know, he talks a lot about what are your income producing tasks. So identifying that, again, when you're a busy person or when you're a business owner, lots of people get very busy, but none of the things that they're very busy doing produce any results or produce any income. And he really breaks it down. He does a lot of acronyms. Um, and I remember at the time being like, you know, he I'm, I'm not going to say them all here because I will not do them justice at all but he does a lot of income producing tasks results producing tasks so yeah life leverage for rob moore um i love his no nonsense approach again no apologies no bullshit you know he's done really well at times he's he's gone backwards in business he's had stuff that's gone wrong um he's been overwhelmed himself he's you know he's had problems within his family and his relationship so he learned from that and all of his concepts and all of his um advice in this book comes from real life experience and it comes from the fact that he's like i've tried this didn't get it right tried it this way it worked but it One of the things- if not then you're then you're writing a fictional novel like exactly. 
you know, it's let, let's be fair. Any any of these books here, and that's the same as anybody in any professional uh, realm or us ourselves as coaches. You've got to pride yourself on your own experience, and you can only then deliver on what your experience is. If not, then you might as well just write Disney. <laughs> write Disney. Love it. One of the things I took immediately from him is he doesn't. Now I am in nowhere near as his league of busyness or his amount of people demanding my time. However, one of the things he said, he said, I don't take phone calls that are not planned. And I'm I'm laughing to myself here because it's one of the things that frustrates me is when I'm in the middle of something, again, it comes into this distraction trap stuff, is at the moment, the way the world is set up, we're all contactable all the time. But if every time you're in a task and you're in focus mode and your phone goes or it's someone ringing you or texting you or getting in touch with you, and, you know, I adore my mom, but my mom rings a lot <laughs> and says things like, what are you doing? And I'm like, it's 11 o'clock on a Tuesday, I'm working. <laughs> and I love the fact that my mom's retired now and she wants to chat to me. And it's not about saying, you know, can you ring my PA and book in? But it is also about setting boundaries of the fact that if you're getting shit done and you're getting work done, don't take calls that are not pre-planned. So, yeah. Rob this is the honest truth, and you can ask my mother this. I don't answer my mom if I'm busy. And mm. listen to my um, voice notes, my voicemails next time. Normally, we can have between five and ten on there Hi, Helen, it's just me. Uh, I just thought I'd try it. You're either working, you're with a client, or you're in the gym. Yes, Mum, you know my schedule. Like, I'll ring you when I've got time. That is it. Like, they are the same. I have her, basically, a voice just ingrained in exactly that same format. Exactly. That's so funny. I don't really listen to my voicemails. You know this. Um, years ago, I used to have my voicemail message used to say, hi, it's Lauren. I don't listen to this voicemail box. I listen to it once a month if you want me to text me. Um, I changed a handset and it got wiped. I must do it again, actually. But I have to laugh. My Most of my voicemail messages is my mum. Hi, Lauren, it's mum. Give me a call. And yeah. it, does, it warms my heart because the fact that I've got my mum on this earth and on this planet to be able to leave me those voicemails is great. But no, no, yeah. I'm not saying it's annoying. It's just, it is, it is. Helen, um, we are saying it's annoying. Stop it. We're just saying we don't answer our mother's phone calls when we get yeah, shit done. Right, crack on. We're going to be here for like two hours. This is my next one. I have this actual book. It is very, very worn. Um, this is, a, have you read this one? And uh, nope, heard about it, but never read it. Okay, it's amazing. This is basically, in short form, context of what it actually means and what it takes to be a business owner. People um, are very, very um, switched on to or and very attracted to being a business owner, their own boss, an entrepreneur, the next big thing. They're all yeah. The time. Yeah. yeah. And obviously this is great, but it... it and I'm all for people striving, again. Don't want to, like, piss on anybody's bonfire or anything. But let's be real. Let's be practical. And this book gives it all to you in that respect. Um, because what we don't want to happen is basically people coming out of jobs and careers to just create a job for themselves. Yes. While people then come into into that new kind of setup, you, you ordinarily end up creating a job for yourself Anyway, because you, you're you're balancing out your uh, your learnings with the probably limited resources 
and the fact that you're trying to either break even or make some form of mar- mar- marginal profit. So you, you you know you're not you're not expanded on any, any everything all up front. So you have to be all to everyone and start kind of doing everything all in one go. However, this then gets you out of that mindset to then start looking and planning and envisioning an actual operating business that's going to be successful. Okay, what he's done to me is basically speak to me. This is one of my very first business books that I've read because I never wanted to create another job for myself. I never. I always had big visions. I'm never afraid of sharing that with you, mm-hmm. our listeners, with everybody who wants to hear where I want to take and where we will take HEW to. Um, so it's always spoke to me and the fact that this gives that practicality of advice and structure behind all of that. So what I want to just um, mention on here is there are three key areas within this book, what is needed from individual aspects of running a successful business. And that is three role, three, the three key roles are the entrepreneur, which is the, the ideas person, the visionary, the energy and the catalyst behind all of the change and the innovation. There is the manager, who is obviously the planner, the, uh, the keeper of all order and a little bit kind of keeping everybody in, in check and a bit still quo-like, but, you, but needed. Okay. And then you've got, thirdly, the technician, which is the doer. You know, we need a doer. But let's remember with that doer, when they're doing, they can only really do one thing at once because they become overwhelmed. Yes. So if they're yeah. panelled from the entrepreneur the whole time that's going, got this idea and this idea and this idea, but the doer's thinking, what the fuck? You're kind of overwhelming everything that I'm doing. There's an issue. So it's about kind of realising those three areas in your business, who fits them, what are the roles, what are the responsibilities, and what is the structure and protocol for that what I just want to um, what I just want to read out here in this is I've got a little ex- extract. I'll be quick and then we'll wrap it up on that. So this is from page twenty five in the book. For those of you that have got the book or will be getting it and 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 reading it and taking note, listen to this. If the entrepreneur lives in the future, the manager lives in the past. Where the entrepreneur craves control, the manager craves order. Where the entrepreneur thrives on change, the manager compulsively clings to the status quo. Where the entrepreneur invariably sees opportunity in events, the manager invariably sees the problems. The manager builds a house and then lives in it forever. The entrepreneur builds a house and the instant it's done, begins planning the next one. The manager creates neat orderly rows of things the entrepreneur creates the things the manager puts in rows the manager is the one who runs after the entrepreneur to clean up the mess but without the entrepreneur there would be no mess to clean up without the manager there could be no business no society without the entrepreneur there would be no innovation it is the tension between the entrepreneur's vision and the manager's pragmatism that creates the synthesis from which all great works are born. This book is so powerful in terms of what is needed process-wise, structure-wise, 
and practicality wise and it is a must for every single business owner whether you're starting out whether you're just in planning stage or whether you're in business thinking like you know i didn't want to be doing the do every single day the general way to wrap this up and how people relate to this book is it's about working on your business not in it on and in i was having this conversation with the the client last week it's so so interesting as you were reading it for anyone who's not watching this on youtube i'm like nodding away like you know the (laughs) church over here i've been looking up to work with so many different business owners over the last 10 years and every entrepreneur and pretty much actually i'm going to big generalize it every entrepreneur is that person who runs through like creating chaos making mess now please don't let anybody listen to that think that's your um permission or an excuse just to be a chaotic nightmare that's when you bring it back to what Rob, rob moore was saying in life leverage it's that creation it's that creating productive things that actually drive the business forward but sometimes people look at it with a snobbery of um you know i want to be the entrepreneur not the manager but each one of those individuals and those roles needs the other Um, and recognizing that within yourself i know when you were reading i can see myself in those roles in different points at all times you know charging creating a mess creating chaos then wanting to control things i think if anything it gives you a real understanding and if, if it'll wake you up to your awareness of where you are sat at the moment, where you've maybe been sat in the past. I know for me, when businesses are getting really big and a bit crazy, I crave that, give me some order, give me some control. It's what made me a project manager. Because I'm like, give me a plan, give me a, <laughs> give me a to-do list, give me some deadlines. And it means that you can really work well with the entrepreneur at that time but then you've got to remember you can take that hat off and you know put on a different one as you were talking there Helen I was thinking this is when sometimes people say why do I need a coach you know what's the benefit of having a coach well if you're the entrepreneur and if you're a startup or if you're a, a business doing you know let's say three four five hundred thousand pound at the moment in turnover per year there's a good chance you haven't got a massive team yet So you don't know when you've got your entrepreneur hat on, your manager hat on, or your technician hat on. And that's where a coach comes in, is it? From an outside point of view, they can say, at this point, you've got this hat on, this hat on, this hat on, and this is where it's holding your back. So if anyone's listening to this thinking, I've got lots of reading to do, another really quick, easy way to help you through understanding these theories and then applying them is working with us and working with working with a great coach. But the, but the absolutely a, a valid point, you know, to, to to kind of wrap that up. Another aspect of that is um, your going back to your awareness point of that is being aware of your own strengths and working towards them. Because a lot of people who start up in business or or have the um, the vision of starting up in business shouldn't be in business. But they would be an amazing manager or an amazing technician within a business. So that's kind of, and this dis, this dispels all of that. Of if, if you know, you may be good at something, but you may not be good at being a business owner. Yeah, totally. So right, okay. Right. What we're going to do, sorry, Lauren, is finish up on your last one and just yeah. do three. And um, we're going to have to do a, a follow up episode on on the last two and break it down because we can go on all day here. Yeah, and we possibly will. <laughs> this is a totally different turn of events on um, the subject matter. Okay. So this one's an audio book. Um, it is called This Naked Mind, and the author is Annie Grace. So the full title of the book, before uh, 
I do it any dis- dis- disservice is this naked mind control alcohol find freedom discover happiness and change your life by Annie Grace so some people might know um I haven't talked about it a huge amount on the podcast yet but um it's something that we do intend to do a solo chat about is two and a half years ago I undertook a 28 day challenge um to just take a, a break from booze I'd had a brilliant summer uh, but I, I think I'm gonna remember looking back at my diary out the, the 12 weekends previous nine out of the 12 weekends I'd had some form of event on um, I'd been to weddings I'd been to um, hem parties I'd been on some birthday trips I'd had weekends away uh, with Chris and nine out of 12 weekends had basically been booze filled now at the time I was already someone who trained very regularly uh, you know I was good with my nutrition. I was working hard uh, in my role um, as a project manager. I hadn't actually taken the step up yet to running the product in the digital sphere that I was in, but I was doing well, working hard, traveling lots, great social life, no kids, no dependents, good income. And what I just found was I felt like a pickle. I felt sluggish. I felt tired. I felt lethargic. I was someone who never really liked a glass of wine at home. I know, um, conversations I've had around this subject some people are like you know they get to cooking dinner and in their head the association is cooking dinner glass of wine and um, sitting down at 8 p.m to watch you know an episode on Netflix glass of wine having a gin and tonic I was never someone who really drank at home the only time I had alcohol in the equation was going out for dinner so me and Chris lived in the city center we had probably dinner out two three times a week um, much to my family's dismay, they're like, do you ever cook? <laughs> um, so if, I'm out, if we were out for dinner, we'd have at least a glass of wine each with dinner. Um, if it was a weekend, a bottle of wine or two with dinner. Um, the, you know, the hem parties, the weddings, you know, it's everything. Have a glass of champagne, then go on to this wine, that wine, then go on to the gin and tonics. And I was a fiend for a Jaeger bomb. I was always oh. that person who came back from the bar. All the way until that point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Alcohol wasn't causing me issues in my life in terms of, you know, what people associate someone would take a break from alcohol. Um, I had plenty of income. I wasn't building up debt. I was getting up and going to work every single day. I was training. I was social. I wasn't someone who argued or fought with people in drunk. I have since recognized, since not drinking, that I used to cry drinking after drinking white wine. And I mean, like, it could be anything. I mean, like, someone would say something to me that was slightly sad, you know, a story of something that was emotional. Give this girl a glass of white wine, the tears. I mean, honest to God, I thought I was a crier. Turns out I wasn't. I was a white wine drinker. (laughs) So what happened is I took a 28-day challenge on a platform which is called One Year No Beer, and I recommend it to everyone. I think it's superb i think it costs something like 45 or 50 quid to sign up for a month and again some people balk at it and go why would you spend 50 quid to not drink and i go just total up how much you spent in alcohol in the last month and you won't really have that conversation again but what i did by joining up to this 28 day challenge was joined a community joined in a um it was like a closed facebook group you got a daily email you had a check-in and you basically hired someone to teach you and get you to understand how alcohol seeps into your life, into our society. Uh, you know, I'm from an Irish family. And um, so, you know, it's it goes hand in hand, you know, go to the bit, go to the pub, have a few scoops, you know, loved a Sunday session and um, blah, blah, blah. And I just got to the point where I was like, I hate, like absolutely hate being hungover. And whether I had a glass, two glasses of wine 
or a Jaeger bomb session, I felt as hungover as I did. Like it was horrendous. I hated not being able to have the energy that I wanted. Looking back now, oh my God, I can look at photos now and can tell you that it was that summer because my eyes were so puffy and my skin was like, I'm like, I've done nothing to my skin other than just don't drink alcohol. But this book, to get back to that, is the first book that I was recommended and the first book that I listened to on audio um, with anything to do with alcohol. Annie Grace is a massive um, leader and a, a figurehead in the alcohol-free world. She's someone who, um, she does narrate her own audio book and I love her accent. She's got a really husky uh, American accent and that's what I love listening to. But she had a, a very successful career. She had a family. She had a husband. Again, she wasn't the person who was drinking alcohol, you know, at 7 a.m. on a cornflakes, but she was drinking a lot while she was traveling with business. She was finding she was waking up at 3, 4 a.m. after drinking more wine than she wanted to. Um, she was, you know, I, I won't again go into all of her stories, but she spoke about how she got to a point where she actually thought she couldn't be, do her job she couldn't go to client dinners. She couldn't entertain. She couldn't be the person who fitted into that scenario. You know, she talks about going to Las Vegas on uh, business trips. She talks about going on skiing holidays. She talks about all the cultural stuff, you know, wine pairing at dinner, all of this other stuff. And I love the fact that not only was it from personal experience, um, but this woman is a researcher and she's a scientist. So it's all backed up with data and it really blows out a lot of the myths that we are surrounded by in terms of the alcohol culture and uh, the alcohol business. Like she talks about the amount of money spent on advertising and how it affects our subconscious thinking and how it's driven in. And, you know, that point is hammered home in so many ways. So I remember reading this book, listening to this book, should I say, for the first time. And I had no intention of quitting alcohol. I just wanted a break. I just didn't want to feel pickled. I wanted to, you know, feel a little bit fresher for a few weeks and a few months. And I listened to it the first time. And it's one of those books that at the end, she says, you're probably not going to want to drink alcohol anymore. And I remember listening to it and going, oh, God, I wish I'd skipped that chapter. <laughs> I don't want to listen to that bit, honey. And that was fine. And I did a couple of months. And then we went on the holiday to Bali that I mentioned when I read that first book. Had a few drinks, nothing massive came back from that holiday, had a Christmas weekend at home, you know, out Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday, woke up on the Monday morning and remembered that I hated being hungover. And I decided to do a whole year alcohol free. So I signed up for 365 days. And that was two and a half years ago. And I've never gone back to drinking alcohol. And I feel like the freest ever from it. I feel like it's something that if anyone is um, tempted to find out more about that whole conversation about going alcohol free, um, I think we're really lucky at the moment that there's lots of people online having great conversations about it. Um, and I could rave and talk about them all day long. But Annie Grace, This Naked Mind, um, and uh, One Year No Beer both have great websites, great social, great podcasts. Um, if you're thinking and feeling like alcohol's just crept in too much into your life and what happens a lot that this book really stood out for me people think that when alcohol is too present in their lives or when it's you know it's taken too much of a hold they think it's because they're weak and what I love about this book is it's like it's nothing to do with being weak nothing to do with being weak it's like asking someone to ingest something that's poisonous and addictive and then wonder why they feel shit 
and want to keep drinking it. And it, it's a non-judgy book. It's not a, if you do this, it's because you're this and because of, you know, you've had this trauma and that. It's just a really sensible conversation from a woman who's well-educated, well-researched, well put together. And she's so honest. She's so vulnerable in it. Like some of the stories that she tells you, I, I mean, I just, I, it made, for me, it made me just go, I wanted to climb into the book and give her a hug. I couldn't personally identify with some of the things she was saying, but I know people close to me who I love dearly, who, who are having those same problems that are in this book. Um, say problems is the wrong word, challenges and pulls that are in this book. So if you are in any way tempted to find out more, yeah, give Annie Grace a listen or pick up her book. At the moment, it's something for me that's frightening the living shit out of me during this lockdown. The amount of people who are numbing and who are checking out of their feelings and of their life with booze, which might feel needed today and it might feel okay today. But if you stay on that trajectory and the habits and the way that will progress and when we come out of this lockdown or the effect that that has on your relationships, on your communication, on your energy is mega. So yeah, if anyone is slightly curious but doesn't want to take the full step into taking a break from booze or quitting booze, Annie Grace, This Naked Mind was a game changer. And I've probably listened to it two or three times since. Uh, and I love her voice. I love it. Good. And well done you, by the way. Because I remember when you first, you know, you were getting through your, your, your big milestones of it. And it's like, oh, well, that's one year. I'll go again. That's another year. Uh, oh, I'm just continuing. And it's just a lifestyle now. Um, yeah, I, I, I wish I could say the same. The longest I've ever done um, no alcohol for is 30 days. I know I can do it. Um, I've done it numerous times on a 30-day plan uh, where I've taken stuff like sugar and caffeine and um, things like that out of my out of my diet, alcohol being one of them. Um, so, yeah, it's nodding back to what you've just said about the, uh, the lockdown and the implications of it. Again, for me, it all comes down to your own awareness as a person, your strength of your awareness and your strength of an ownership of your actions and taking into consideration everything that, you know, that we look at through personal development of your emotions, the trigger points, understanding the implications and, and being able to warrant the right time and energy transaction through your choices at any one time. Because if we're in lockdown and we're, you know, we're creating um, new habits, why not put the emphasis on them being positive habits and it being such as your reading or your exercising or podcasting or something that's of positive mind to you that will, that will have that ripple effect in a positive light. It would it would go on very, very nicely to another book that um, I have on my shortlist here to share with you, but we're going to actually um, save that now till next time. Um, so we'll have a follow-up of this and perhaps um, cover the other two off each in that next episode. And then Lauren... Has and that you might even let me sneak in an extra one or two, Helen, if we do episode two. When we do episode because we don't need the introduction to read in and all of that. It'll just go straight, yeah, yeah. It'll just go straight into the actual books and the meat and the grit about those yeah. books. Um, <clears throat> what I do want to say is also on the, the no alcohol and the choice and the change in lifestyle for you, it'd be amazing for you to do that as a solo um, episode and share that in a lot more depth and from that personal experience. Yeah, totally. I talked, it's so funny because I'll finish on this. I didn't do that challenge to make a point and to make, 
you know, a statement or an impact or any of that stuff. Um, I genuinely was just sick of feeling sluggish and hungover. But what it taught me is that one cornerstone, one key habit can have the biggest change on everything else. Changing that one thing that, and I, I'm not saying this to give myself a little owl or to, you know, fluff it up or anything. No one would have said to me, Lauren, drinking's an issue. You know, like it, it wasn't that situation. I just knew that if I made room in life for some other stuff, and it's by no coincidence that when I stopped drinking, I realized I had a, a lot more money. And, you know, one of the things that the money, the, the money saved went on was hiring Helen was hiring a coach. My company didn't pay for that. Um, I invested in myself. I was, you know, I was, I was an employed person. I wasn't a self-employed entrepreneur at that time. Um, and I spent that money on hiring a coach. And sometimes people say to me, again, we said it before, it's a priority. I really want to do that. But then they don't put it in the diary. They don't open their wallet and back it. The reason that paying for that alcohol free challenge works is because if it's free, then, you know, you give it a like on Facebook and you, you know, you do nothing with it ever again. I put my money where my mouth was. I backed into it. I, t- I didn't tell lots of people I was doing it. I told a few people very close to me I was doing it. I remember going on a business trip and I had to tell my boss. I was in Ibiza on the first 28 days. I, I'm, I'm, you know, it was a brilliant trip. I remember having to say to my boss, just so you know, I'm on a 28-day drinking no challenge. I'm not pregnant because it was that unusual yeah. for us to be on, you know, on these trips and not getting, you know, um, into the champagne and into the shots and everything else. So it's, um, I just think it's important to recognise is that when you change one habit, it can open up the path for so many more. It's when I started reading more. It's when I started well, reading ramped up a level. I should say it's when I started listening to a lot more audio. I took away something that was creating fog and cloud and it made space for a lot more and distraction yeah it's really really funny actually that the books that the the first three books and the books that I picked is where's your focus where's your time where's your energy where's your priorities and I suppose that's where I'll leave it at that for today in that you know Helen yours yours of all where's your what were you where's your focus where's your focus where's your priority where's your energy and what was mine um Go out there and take massive amounts of action. Look after yourself on the way. Yeah. Structure and process your business. Yeah. And that's 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 the roundup. So we have this has been a much longer episode um than normal. So if you're still with us, thank you. Um we would love to get your feedback on every episode. Uh, and we genuinely mean that. Tell us what you'd like to hear more of, less of, uh, anything good, bad, and all in between. You can find us all over social media, HEW on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, and uh, yeah, give us a like, give us a share and interact with us. If you have enjoyed this podcast and you think someone else uh, would like to listen to it. Uh, give it a click and a screen share tag us uh, and put it on your story Uh, and final thing is the itunes reviews or whichever platform you're listening on they make a huge amount of difference to how we are found uh, where we are rated and and how uh, and how many people we can share this with and share the message with so uh, we'd love to get your feedback we'd love your reviews uh, and please do press the subscribe button you'll get a little tick once a week Uh, And you can have myself, Helen, either together or separately in your ears. Uh, But thank you very much for your time, your focus. We hope everyone's uh, well and safe. And we look forward to speaking to you soon. What she said, over and out. Thank you for listening to the HEW podcast. 
For continued support, please subscribe using iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please leave a five-star review on your download platform. Tune in for more value and more content the same time next week.